I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 104, in which I talk to Jay about form. And I'm recording this part of this episode on Wednesday, September 19th, but the conversation with Jay happened several days ago, and I'm actually going to be pre-posting this so it'll go live on Saturday, September 22nd. So this can be considered the sort of flexible time episode. You're sort of getting, oh, just a whole span of Sandy's existence in this one episode. I'm, I'm pre-posting this because I will, yes, again, be out of town this weekend. However, this time it is for pleasure. I am going to family weekend at my daughter's college and um, my husband and I are both going and we're bringing my husband's parents, my daughter's grandparents with us and have a weekend of fun and frivolity planned. Mostly us making sure our daughter has everything that she needs in her dorm room and taking her out to dinner. That's pretty much the main goals of the weekend. But in any case, I'll be leaving sometime Friday afternoon and probably not getting home until Sunday afternoon, evening. Not entirely sure when we'll actually be leaving up there. And it's a four or five hour drive, so chances are I'll be too beat when I get back to put together another podcast episode. So I decided to do myself a favor and get this done ahead of time so that you will still get an episode, even when I'm unavailable. In this episode, I do have that conversation with Jay, um, but since it was a little bit shorter this week than last week, I'm able to add in some other stuff. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about some apps that I have found lately um, for the iPad, although I'm not going to be talking too much about that because I know not everybody has um iPads, but I did want to just say a couple of words about some, because one was spurred by an email that I got. Uh, I will talk a little bit about my trip to keepsake quilting. I did blog about it, but I do want to actually say a few words about it as well. And then I will do listener feedback. So, first, to my conversation with Jay about form. Um, fair warning, we do ask a lot more existential questions in this one, a lot more thoughts to ponder when you can't sleep at night. Um, so I'm really curious, and so is Jay. We'd really love to hear what you think about those questions that we ask. So without further ado, on to the conversation with Jay about form. And here we are again, once again, Jay and I talking about design and principles and elements and all that good stuff. Today, Jay, what are we tackling? We are talking about form, which is an element of design. And I have to say, if you haven't listened to the shape episode, go and listen to the shape episode first. I think your form will make more sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you'd be completely lost, but it sure would be helpful to hear shape first before we get into form. No, you're extremely intelligent listeners. We'll yes. lost, uh, My brilliant listeners will be able to pick it up. Okay. Yes. What do you need to tell us about form? As I said, form is an element of design. You can touch it. Remember our sensory properties that we talked about last time? And form is the 3D version of shape, in a way. So here's some definitions. 
Form is a shape that is three-dimensional. Forms can be defined by both depth and perspective, which means that forms have a top, bottom, and sides. They occupy space and are capable of casting a shadow. And I love that. Did they cast a shadow? It's a form. <laughs> That's an easy little rule of thumb to go by. Yeah, of course, like we talked about last time, there may be some forms that don't cast a shadow, but I like that one. So here's some examples of what forms are. Fabric folds and vases. There's a whole series of books on that topic from CNC Publishing. Not getting paid from them, but they do have they do have those, and they're fun to make if you haven't made them. Sculpture, obviously. I hesitated to put this one in, but then I did. Dimensional applique. So if any of you have ever seen Ellie Sinkiewicz's Baltimore album quote. She, one of her books is on dimensional flowers. I think it's called Romancing Ribbons into Flowers and Dimensional Applique Baskets. I'm really on the fence about whether these are forms, but let's just say they are for applique. They do stick up from the quilt, so okay. Uh, fabric dolls, like my Warrior Doll series, and garments. For those of you who make garments, I'm throwing you a bone today, mostly. I don't talk about garments because I don't do garment sewing, but they are definitely forms. Now, this is the confusing part. The word form is also used to describe a higher level of the design of art pieces, and it has to do with content. So content is what artists want to say, and form is how they say it. Now, this is not the kind of form that we're talking about today. You can go and read about that on your own. Fantac and Lauer, which I know you all have bought by now. But I wanted to throw it out there so you intelligent listeners don't go, hey, but I thought form was X. Yes, there is a form that's same word, different meaning. Back to what we are talking about. Architecture is the art form most concerned with three-dimensional volumes. According to Pentac and Lauer, I think we could argue with them about that. Architecture creates three-dimensional shapes and volumes by enclosing areas within walls. Okay, they build a house and they put stuff inside is basically what they're saying. But in the quilt world, for those of you who don't know Susan L., she creates quilt-related architecture and forms. And her stuff is really interesting. She has a lot of people. I saw a piece of hers at Red California, which was a boat and people getting in and out of the boat. So those are quilt-related forms. We talked a little bit about volume and mass last time. Shapes don't have volume or mass, but forms do. Volume and mass refer to the three-dimensional shapes of sculpture and architecture. And even though quilts have dimension in the relief created by the quilting and embellishment, they are still usually considered two-dimensional because the angle of viewing doesn't critically change the image. And what I had said before was you can walk around a sculpture and see different pieces of it, and you usually can't walk around a quilt 
can see different things, even if it's hanging in the middle of the room and you have access to all four sides. I do think it would be interesting, because we did talk about this in the last episode, but to hear from our listeners what for them makes the difference between a quilt being considered two-dimensional versus three-dimensional. Because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here really picturing this and thinking, yeah, I've seen some quilts that really do have stuff hanging off them, <laughs> you know, the, the three-dimension elements that really you may not see as well unless you move around it. So does that mean it's critically changing the image as I move around it? So it's, it's just an interesting, we talked in the last episode about, questions to ponder when you can't sleep at night. This might be another one to ponder when you can't sleep at night. What what for you would be the boundary between a two-dimensional quilt and a three-dimensional quilt? Yeah, I, I'd be really interested to hear what people think about that. And what came to mind just a second ago is some kinds of fabrics that are woven with different either types of fabric or color colors of thread on the warp and the weft and how if you move a little bit to the side you sometimes see kind of a sparkly effect. Not sparkly as the rhinestone way, but that shimmer that comes when two different threads are woven together. I don't know if there's a word for that. Well, are you talking about cross-woven fabric? Because I have some of that where it's one color if you look at it one way, but then it kind of changes color as you look at it the other because they're using one color on the warp and one color on the weft. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, that's, an, that's another interesting thought. Is that considered form then because it changes as you walk around it? And I, I think also not to, I mean, this this will completely throw into a whole other conversation, which we don't need to get into here, but I also wonder if some of this then also doesn't become what's your definition of a quilt. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. But, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, if I make a quilt and then wrap it around a frame, that makes it a three-dimensional quilt, but there are those who would say, well, it's no longer a quilt. So, all of these things are just fascinating insomniac-type questions to ponder. <laughs> yes, well, let's leave it there. <laughs> I am not doing an episode on that unless somebody takes a lot of money. It spends about two years talking with some really smart people about that, and my head still felt like it was going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, we'll ratchet it back down, and we'll get back to our conversation about form. Okay, thank you. All right, so I just wanted to bring up the form versus shape conundrum again. So we talked about shape last time, which is a, is a two-dimensional thing, a circle, a square that you draw on a piece of paper. Well, shapes are sometimes also called forms, and the two terms are used synonymously, or thought to be synonymous, and are often used interchangeably. But shape is a more precise term because form has other meanings in art, like we talked about a few minutes ago. Like, and here's another way that it's different. Form is used in a broad sense to describe the total visual organization of a work, including color, texture, and composition. So we are using form to describe a three-dimensional object. So you make a flower. Out of a ribbon, you stick it on your quilt, it's a three-dimensional element. It's a form. That's what we're using it as. You can think about the form versus shape conundrum again when you can't sleep. <laughs> we're going to, okay, so my listeners are brilliant, but now we're assuming they're insomniacs as well. 
That's because we're making them in some. <laughs> no, I don't want anyone to be in <laughs> Unintended consequences, yes. While you're on that conference call at work, that really doesn't <laughs> apply to you, but your boss said you had to be on it, this is what you think about. <laughs> not that any of us have any experience with those kinds of conference calls. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> okay, back to our topic. All right. Let's be serious here. A flat work. Oh, now we're on to notes. These are just notes and random thoughts. A flat work, such as a painting or a quilt, can be viewed satisfactorily from only a limited number of angles and offers approximately, that's the key word that gets me out of any trouble, the same image from each angle. But three-dimensional work, which are forms that we're talking about now, can be viewed from countless angles as the viewer moves around them. I have a, um, I went to the Legion of Honor a couple of months ago, and they had a gate displayed. I saw a Victorian exhibit. I forget what it was called. They had a gate displayed. And that was so interesting to walk around. Even though a gate is sort of flat, it was so heavily welded or molded or I don't know how people work in nestle. It was just really interesting to walk around and you could walk around it. Um, form and shape are areas or masses which define objects in space. Form and shape imply space. They can't exist without space. And you can see that these two are really linked. Form and shape are really linked. You kind of have to think about them together, even though I think it's easier to think about shape without form. These are the hard ones I told, I warned you guys last time. They're a very... I was going to say, they just need to remember, they're brilliant, they're brilliant, they can hang with us. (laughs) There are various ways to categorize form and shape. Form and shape can be thought of as either two-dimensional or three-dimensional, depending on whether you're talking about form or shape. Two-dimensional shape has width and height. It can also create the illusion of three dimensions, but it's not flat. Two dimensions, flat shape. Three-dimensional form has depth as well as width and height. You can walk around it. It's a form. So then I have two sort of long things that I think I'm just going to put up on my blog because they're really long and I think people will get bored listening to me read them. But the forms and shapes are positive and negative. And depending on whether you're doing a two-dimensional composition like a quilt or three-dimensional, the objects usually constitute positive forms while the background is a negative space. But you can play with that as well. And artists do, they reverse the positive and negative space, so the shape or the form in order to create more complex illusions. And one of the examples is M.C. Escher, his interlocking images. So it's really good to train your eyes to look beyond your first impression. And that 
that reminds me, sometimes you go to a quilt show, like I know Sandy, you've been to Houston, and I've heard that there's just hundreds and hundreds of quilts there, so if you're only there for two days, you really have to sort of plow through really fast. But you can't see as much if you only look at it for five seconds as you can if you look for 30 seconds or a minute. Yeah, that's that's very true, and Houston's a great example. When I go, because I have to fly to get there, I go I go for the whole thing. So I'm there for three and a half, four days, and I have to break the quilt show up into pieces. So I'll go in for a couple of hours one day and then a couple of hours a little bit later that day for that reason, because your eye just stops seeing after a while. Um, and in order to truly appreciate all these things, you really have to kind of stand and look at it for a little bit so that all of these things can reveal themselves to you. Um, I was thinking about, you know, when you talk about artists playing with positive-negative space, the most obvious example of that is those pictures you look at, that if you look at it one way, it's the vase. If you look at it another way, it's the two faces, you know, that, that kind of thing where it's one shape, really, but because of the coloring and the way that they've designed it, it can be two different pictures. Yeah, and that's, that's what I was thinking. You have to train yourself to see it, but you can sometimes see it if you just look for longer. Right. So that's all I have on form. I hope it's enough. <laughs> well, as you said, you know, form is a little bit harder for us to grasp as quilters because we do tend to work mostly in 2D rather than 3D. But I think form is helpful to understand, one, if we do do 3D kind of work, if we do dimensional quilting at all, but also to understand how our 2D shapes can be then used to imply the three-dimensional form. All right, is there, um, now you're going to be having your blog post and there's um, resources available, as always, for people that want to do any more study on this. Mm -hmm where I got my information because I didn't make this all up. <laughs> well, and again, to, to, to just let people know, there is a lot of uh, discrepancy out there in terms of how things are defined and even what words get used. As, as Jay has mentioned several times during this conversation, some people use form and shape um, interchangeably or even in the opposite way than what we're using it. But for the purposes of our design series, the way we're defining it, in a nutshell, shape is the 2D and form is the 3D. There's a little more to it, but that's kind of the rule of thumb. Like you said, the the form casts a shadow. Right, and if you remember that, then I think you're good. Right. All right, we don't know yet what the next design um, episode will be after this, but there are a few more to go. <laughs> People should stay tuned for additional episodes. Okay, thanks, Sandy. Thank you so much, Jay. I appreciate it, as always. Have a great day. You too. Once again, thank you, Jay, for spending a little more time with me. I really feel sometimes like we actually do need to meet face-to-face. -face. <laughs> We've spent so much time together now over Skype. It would be nice to actually be able to sit down together in the same room with coffee and or tea or whatever our beverage of choice is and just chat. But thank you again, Jay, for being willing to put so much time and effort and energy into these design episodes. I really enjoy them. Again, everybody, leave us your comments. We like you to be part of the conversation as well. So if anything that we've talked about spurs questions or 
thoughts or if you're looking at a quilt and can see some of these things that uh, we've touched on in these episodes, please let us know. Post us uh, pictures and links to your own blog entries about it, etc. It's, it's always much more fun to have you also joining in. Okay, I had said that I had some conversation, I'm sorry, not conversation, I have some information about some apps for Droid, for, um, boy, I'm sorry, I have to tell you, it's getting pretty late tonight, <laughs> and so I'm starting to become a little bit on the edge verbally, but I'll, I'll try to hold it together for another few minutes. Um, I have got some information about some apps for my iPad that you might want to check out as well if you also have an iPad. Some of these would also be fine on an iPhone. One of them would be a little tricky, I think, to use on the iPhone. I got an email oh, a few days ago now from Quilt and Jenny, who was trying to remember an episode in which I had mentioned um, an inventory app. And that episode was a long time ago, and it wasn't actually – I tried to do a search. She had tried to do a search. I don't think it was actually the main topic of an episode because it wasn't showing up in any of the tags as, you know, app reviews or anything like that. I think I just mentioned it in passing. And the app that I had talked about back then was called My Inventory for Droid. And what Quilt and Jenny was asking about was how to better track all those tools and gadgets, et cetera, that we tend to collect. Um, and, you know, I do use Goodreads to track my books, uh, but I had mentioned on a past episode a long time ago now, um, I think it was probably close to a year ago, this app called My Inventory. And it had been um, recommended by a friend of mine, and so I tested it out, and it, it, it was a good app. My only problem, I didn't actually end up using it much when I had my droid because um, there wasn't a computer uh, sister for it. I mean, it, it was only on my droid, and so you had to enter everything with your thumbs. <laughs> and that's not something, I mean, I'll do that. I do a lot of texting and stuff, obviously, but when I'm trying to enter a lot of data at once, that just irritates me. So I didn't actually end up using it as much as I probably could have and um, within a few months after that, I had replaced my droid with an iPhone anyway. So once I heard that, it, once Quilt and Jenny asked me that question, I got curious, and I was like, now, wait a minute, I now have an iPad, and I have a keyboard for my iPad. So what if there was an app that could sync between my iPad and my iPhone where I could enter all the information on my iPad, but then have it on my iPhone if I'm out shopping? So I downloaded a few apps um, onto my iPad, and... I'm still just barely starting to play around with them, so I can't really do a full-out review, but I did want to let people know, in case you are looking for some yourself, the three that I tested out, um, I always go online and look for reviews and stuff first and try to find those that are the top rated, and then I read the reviews in iTunes, of course, before I download stuff. And actually, what I tend to do, I think I've mentioned this in past episodes, I tend to read the most critical or the negative comments first. And then I'll go back and read the positive comments. Because uh, a lot of times the positive comments are just, oh, this is great, and that's it. And they don't really give you a lot of detail. Sometimes they do. Uh, critical comments, yes, sometimes you'll get those that just say, this app stinks, and they don't give you any detail. But a lot of times more you'll hear exactly what the problem is. Um, and then you can assess, would that actually be a problem for me or not? So the three that seem to be, in general, the top-rated inventory-type apps are Itemizer, which comes in an Itemizer Junior trial version, which is the one I'm using because that one's free. And that's, again, Itemizer, I-T-E-M-I-Z-E-R, or Itemizer Junior. And 
that's the one I've actually spent a little more time with than the others because it was the easiest to just kind of figure out right off the bat without having to go to the hub files every third step. Uh, so for that reason, I'm tending to lean towards it a little bit, uh, but I, I haven't really had a lot of time to play with any of these yet, so I can't give you, you know, full reviews or recommendations. The second one I was trying out is called My Stuff to Light. Again, I believe that's the free version, and then there's My Stuff 2 is the, um, <laughs> I was about to say more intense version. Um, that's probably not appropriate wording, the, let's just say it, not free version, but can do more. And then the third one is I Storage. Um, and that's small i storage, all one word. And I really haven't been able to play with that one much at all, except the first thing I tried to add, I could not figure out how to make any adjustments to how the categories were, what your fields were, and all that kind of stuff. Itemizer Junior, like I said, was the easiest one to just kind of look at and figure out almost immediately. Um, I will say my stuff too, light and i storage seemed to have more features that might be more appropriate for folks if you've got like an eBay store or, you know, you're selling things in a consignment shop or you're really trying to keep track of inventory for a business. They seem to be a little more robust. Itemizer Junior, at least the version I'm using, seems to be, you know, a, like I said, a little more user-friendly, easy to access, just get in there and throw some information in there. They all allow you to post photos with your items. Um, some of them allow have like a barcode scan that you can just scan it right in. I haven't really played with any of them that much. Um, and then there's, of course, all different things they can sync to where you can download them as CSV files and all that kind of thing. So if you're looking for um, an app for iPad or iPhone, those are the three that I've found that tend to be the highest rated itemizer slash itemizer junior, my stuff to light or iStorage. Um, the other thing I haven't really been able to figure out yet is syncing between the iPad and the iPhone. So I haven't really tried to see if I put something in on my iPad, then I, can, you know, does it actually show up in my iPhone? Most apps that have that syncability, syncability? That sync, <laughs> I don't know what that would be called, sorry. Um, that ability to, you know, fly information back and forth, do it automatically and you don't have to do anything for it, but you never know with apps, so. Um, so, Quilt and Jenny, there's your answer. <laughs> um, the other app I just actually started playing with in the last day or two is called My Memoir, and it's a journaling app. And there is a boatload of journaling apps out there, and they all do different kinds of things, and some of them have more customization than others. I, again, I did some research into this, although not, you know, exhaustive study, because I was just looking for something that I could just keep my own kind of private journal on my iPad. And... Um, I liked the way my memoir worked, and so that was the one I downloaded. And I think, oh, I think it might have all been $2. It wasn't free, but it wasn't much. So what it is, it's basically a diary thing. You can open up a new page. You can put in, you know, just write. You can also include up to three photos. And that seemed to be fairly standard among a lot of the journaling apps. There might be some that allow more, but most of them seem to be either one or three um, if they allow photo, uh, photos included at all. My memoir does also have um, a video tab. I haven't tested that one out yet. I haven't tried to, to attach a video at all to see if that would work, but I don't see why it wouldn't. Um, and what I got thinking about, I'm, I'm using my, I'm back on this, binge of, not binge, that's way the wrong word to choose in this instance. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a real effort to try to get healthy again, to try to be 
take better care of myself, especially as I'm in this just insane work schedule for the next couple of months. I know that if I don't be careful of what I'm eating and getting exercise and getting rest, I will be sick within about two and a half or three weeks. So I'm really trying to focus and do, you know, be good to myself. And so I decided one way I might be able to help myself stay focused is to do some sort of online journaling. I'm sorry, not online journaling, but do some journaling on my iPad where I could sit at night and kind of reflect on my day and make plans for the next day, et cetera. And so that's what I'm using my memoir for. But it struck me as I was writing in it tonight, you could use it as quilt documentation. You could do a a journal that, and maybe I'll start doing this, that, uh, because, I'm sorry, (laughs) let me back up. In my memoir, one of the nice features about my memoir, as opposed to a lot of other journaling apps, you can have multiple journals. So you can have multiple journals for multiple subjects. So I could have not only my healthy living journal, but I could also have a quilt documentation journal. And you could put all the information about your quilt in there. You could upload your three pictures to it. And then um, once you you can then download, you can share the information, or you can download it. You can create sort of an ebook out of it. Um, yeah, and I've only been playing with this for a couple of days, and I'm not writing stuff I want to share with anybody, so I haven't tried any of those yet. Uh, but it would be interesting to use it for quilt documentation and then create yourself your own ebook with all your quilt photos and stuff. So I wanted to just kind of toss that out there for those of you um, who might have an iPad that might be looking at, gee, how could I do some quilt documentation with this? I would like to suggest my memoir. I don't have a droid or anything like that. So for other tablets, I don't have any information or any recommendation, but I would say, you know what, chances are if this stuff exists for the iPad, it probably exists for your tablet as well. So check it out. Look for wherever you buy apps. Look for um, some form of uh, journaling type app that you can upload pictures to and consider using it for quilt documentation. Okay, that's all I've got to say about apps. Let me talk a little bit about my trip to Keepsake Quilting. If you followed my blog, and I did mention this in the last episode, uh, I was in Maine for my meetings last weekend, and I can go, generally speaking, the way I drive home from Maine is to go straight through the middle of Massachusetts. You're on Route 90 for freaking ever, because you pick it up in the middle of Massachusetts and take it all the way practically to my house. So... Um, it can tend to be a long, fairly boring ride, although, you know, when you're going through the Berkshires and then through the Hudson Valley, it's really pretty, especially this time of year when the leaves are starting to turn. Um, I'm actually driving to Rhode Island for work um, the weekend after this, and I'm really looking forward to that drive because it'll just be gorgeous at that point. But in any case, um, I decided the night before I left, I was I went online on my iPad. I used Google Maps and realized, you know, I'm only a couple of hours from Keepsake Quilting. Maybe I should try to go to drive to, by way of Keepsake Quilting. And when I was on Google Maps, it made it look like a couple hours from Keepsake Quilting, go to Keepsake Quilting. I figured I'd be there under an hour. And then Google Maps told me it was about um, seven and a half or eight hours for me to get home from Keepsake Quilting. And I didn't really have a schedule. Um, I was leaving. I had to drop somebody off at the train station where near where we were at, um, a little bit before 8 in the morning. I figured, okay, I hit the road, get there at 10, spend an hour. You know, I'm, I'm home um, by like 6 o'clock at night or something. You know, I, I wasn't overly worried, 6 or 7. Um, and I knew it would be through really, really pretty countryside. So I was kind of jazzed for it. I thought, you know, I got a really good night's sleep. I woke up the next morning, felt great, good to go. Um, 
the drive to keepsake quilting was beautiful. I really enjoyed that. Got to keepsake quilting, felt good. And I enjoyed the store. Now, the problem is I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would, and I don't know how much of that is just because then it took me for freaking ever, to use that phrase again, to get home. Google Maps steered me way wrong. I should have paid attention to the GPS in my car. I really wanted to believe Google Maps. When I got back in my car at, in the parking lot of Keepsake Quilting and plugged in my home address, my car said nine and a half hours. Google Maps was still telling me eight, and it took me on a different route. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to follow Google Maps. Maybe my GPS is set for, you know, expressways only or something. And so I kept my iPad open on the seat next to me and tried to follow Google Maps. And every time it refreshed itself, it just kept saying eight hours, no matter how much time it passed. <laughs> it kept telling me, you still have eight hours left to go. I, I don't know where its head was at. It was just messing with me. And I didn't get home until 9 o'clock at night, and I was exhausted. Um, quite a bit of the drive between keepsake quilting until I could finally get myself on an expressway once I bagged Google Maps and decided I was going back to my GPS. Um, and finally gotten on the expressway, so none of that was cruise control. It was all very slow, windy driving, which was very pretty. But after a while, I was just achy. You know, my whole right side was aching. So it's hard for me. <laughs> I enjoyed keepsake quilting, but there's part of me that's saying, was it really worth all of that? And I don't know. I really can't say. It was, it's a gorgeous store. And when I first walked in, you know, I just kind of did this deep inhale because you can just smell fabric. And it smelled great. And they do just gorgeous displays. And it's kind of cool to say, oh, I saw that in the catalog. Oh, yeah, I've seen that in the catalog. But then there's stuff you didn't see in the catalog. And so that was kind of neat. Um, so I, I took a few minutes just to kind of walk through the whole store, get the lay of the land, see what was there. And then I started making some decisions. Uh, the main thing I did is I had decided while I was driving to Keepsake Quilting that I wanted to make some more candle mats um, to give as a gift for a woman who had done a lot of work for us that weekend. And so I decided to buy some batiks to do that with. And um, there's we have a signature color for our girls' ministry that's teal. And she's been very engaged in our girls' ministry for years, still is. And so I decided I would base it on teal. And I found some very pretty um, batiks that I can make these candle mats for her with. Um, now, to make a candle mat, I probably need a 10-inch square. <laughs> So, of course, I bought half a yard. You know, you, you have to have room for in case you make mistakes. Uh, but mostly it's so that I can also have them in my stash because they are really very pretty. They're um, teals and browns, dark browns, and then some lighter kind of gold to kind of, you know, lighten it up a little bit. And then I got a couple of spools of orofil thread that matched those colors. Um, I got a pack of 10-inch squares that are all... Um, I believe they're all also batiks. I'm looking at them now. Don't remember, but they're all they're uh, white and cream, and then a package of batik fat quarters that are lighter colors. Because again, sometimes it's harder to find light colored batiks. I was actually kind of surprised at Keepsake Quilting. They had a, a big selection of batiks. But they didn't have a lot of very light ones. I've seen a lot of very light batiks in other stores. I was expecting to be able to find a lot in Keepsake Quilting, and I really didn't have them. And I tend to like, if I've got a lot of darks going on, I tend to like one, like 
almost a white or as close to a white as you can get that will just kind of brighten everything up. And it disappointed me that I wasn't able to find that at Keepsake Quilting. I like the set that I have. I would like one to be just a little bit lighter, but, you know, that's just me. Other people will look at the set and think it's gorgeous, and I do think it's gorgeous. I, that was just something that kind of surprised me, that it wasn't easier to find something really light at um, Keepsake Quilting. Um, I also bought the Quilt Pounce marking tool. I've been thinking about that for a while, and since it was sitting right in front of me, I decided to go ahead and get that, because then I can use more... Um, stencils and things a little bit more easily. I don't tend to use a lot of marking tools <laughs> when I quilt because I'm tending to do just a free motion kind of whim, let's call it whimsical <laughs> kind of quilting. I have been thinking that, you know, there may come times when I want to do slightly more formal um, quilting designs that will require some marking, so I'm going to be uh, using that tool in addition to the others I've already got. Um, what else did I buy? Oh, and I got a back scratcher. <laughs> it, was sitting, it was sitting at the counter, one of those impulse buys things. I think it was like three bucks. And it's this little, um, it's the size of a pen, but then you can pull the scratching head kind of out. It's this extendable wand, and then you can use it to scratch your back. And I, I have the itchiest back known to mankind. I don't know what it is. I have nothing wrong with my skin. There's nothing going on back there. I just always have kind of this itch between my shoulder blades. So, um, I put this thing in my purse, and boy, I used that actually quite a bit on that ride home, partly just to stretch. You know, it felt good to kind of occasionally move my arm up over my neck and scratch my back while I was driving, but um, that was kind of a fun thing, and I'm kind of wishing I had bought two, because I'd like to have one in my purse and then one sitting next to my desk. Um, I don't remember ever seeing that in their catalog. That was just kind of a fun little, you know, the candy next to the cash register kind of thing. And then the other thing I got was gloves in a bottle, and I mentioned in my blog post they had it as um, samples in the bathroom. By the way, nice bathroom for a quilt shop. Um, but they had gloves in a bottle next to the sink, so you wash your hands, and then you're able to test out this stuff. It's moisturizer. I have problems with moisturizer. A lot of them are too greasy. Um, they don't quite really work in. Um, some of them actually make my hands sting. I'm not, like, super allergic to them, but I do have slightly sensitive skin, so there's some I just can't use at all. And then I'm not allergic to smells. I just don't want my hands to smell all day long. I don't like the heavily perfumed ones. Um, so I'm forever looking for something that's either unscented or an extremely light scent that will just make my skin moist without leaving all sorts of crud all over it. So I tested this gloves in a bottle, and fell in love. This is great stuff. So I bought a bottle of that, and then I bought a little small bottle to keep in my purse, too. Um, it's To me, it's unscented. I don't know if there's somebody who's actually allergic to scents would feel that same thing. I don't know that it says that I'm looking on the bottle if it says specifically unscented. Yes. Hypoallergenic, fragrance, and colorant-free. Recommended by hundreds of American dermatologists. So I really, I like this stuff, and I recommend it. And that one they do have in our catalog. I do remember seeing that. Um, in terms of the store itself, like I said, it, it is a very pretty store. I think part of the issue is I have been to Lolly's in Shipshawana. And Lolly's is at least as big as Keepsake Quilting, if not like half again as big. And... It's got a couple of floors, and there's other, they're either related fabric shops or they're just different. I don't know exactly how that works, but there's several different types of fabric shops all kind of in that one place. So when I think about a destination quilt shop, I tend to think lollies. 
Keepsake clipping was very pretty, and I'm not saying I would turn up my nose with another trip. Um, and like I said, I might just be, be being pickier because I was so tired by the time I got home that I was really trying to assess, geez, was that actually worth it? Um, I think it was. You know, given enough time passing, I certainly enjoyed the shop. Um, if I'm back in that area again, I would certainly go again. Um, but I will say, if you ever have a chance to go to Lolly's, make sure you go to Lolly's. That's an impressive store, too. All right, that's really all the updates I have. I have gotten no sewing done, and I'm unlikely to get any sewing done anytime soon. Uh, so my updates are going to have to just be virtual. You know, what I'm reading pretty much is going to be it. Um, so that's it for this episode. Again, thank you so much to Jay, and thank you to everybody for listening. I really appreciate that. Thank you for everybody who's posted reviews on iTunes. All of us podcasters appreciate that as well. And do leave comments. Oh. I'm not done. That's right. I was going to do some listener feedback this time. <laughs> I really need to get this to bed. Um, thank you so much to Kelly the Fifth and Jennifer and Landscape Lady and Maureen who um, left comments on my blog post about being in Maine. And all of them think Maine is just gorgeous and enjoyed seeing the pictures I had posted of it. Um, <laughs> Landscape Lady said, I am so jealous. Um, and she says, being there must make up for all the stressful, boring places I've had to go. And, yeah, it did. I've been to a lot worse places for meetings. That was a particularly nice one. Thank you to Riedel Beetle and Gretchen and Knox Blocks, who posted um, more comments on my uh, blog post in which I posted the picture of my Stitch and Slash, which is still unnamed. And they have recommended some additional names. Riedel Beetle suggested Pieces of April and It's a 70s Feeling. Um, Gretchen particularly voted for Psychedelic Amoeba, and she said it reminds her of a pair of bell bottoms she had <laughs> in high school. Um, Knox Blocks really enjoyed my conversation with AJ, and she didn't give me any suggestions for a name. Come on, people, I need suggestions for a name. Uh, thank you to Anonymous and Margaret and Eileen um, and Katie from Katie's Quilting, a different Kelly, Eileen and and Marge in Mirror, which is in Canada. And she has, by the way, um, wondered if I've read The Beautiful Mystery. And yes, I did finish it. It downloaded to my um, Kindle the minute it was released, and I read it within about two or three days. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, and she said she has relatives in the eastern townships, so reading Louise was like visiting home. Um, I think that's it for this episode. I really want to say thank you so much to everybody for commenting. And as I always say, keep them coming, please. And um, I think I have nothing else to say because my brain just shut off because it's after 10 o'clock at night and I need to not be talking anymore. Um, I'm going to be, again, posting... Hopefully, I will get it posted next week for the following weekend because, again, I'm out of town that weekend, too. But I do have some conference calls as well. So next week is going to get a little tricky, but I'm hoping to get something posted the following weekend. Um, meanwhile, do be sure to check out Jay's blog with the supplemental information to this episode. I think that's it. So until uh, you know how to get a hold of me, you can email me at sandyclips at gmail.com. Sandy with a Y, Clips with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on P Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Flickr, 
Fred Bias, Craftsy, Sitch.com, Spoolery, um, all of those places. I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a G. <laughs> that would be funny. Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. And you can like the Clipping for the Rest of Us group on Facebook and join the Quiltcast supergroup. And you can do good by joining the Clipping for the Rest of Us team on Kiva. And you will find links for all of that at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.